So pretty soon, I mean, we had the biggest youth group in our denomination, and all, all we were doing is teaching kids the Bible. So that kind of changed my heart a little bit. It just made me realize I don't, I don't want to play games. I just want to trust in the Word of God. And so I really do believe there's something powerful about the Bible. Um, it's magic. It's like magic beans, right? Like you just, you, you chuck these magic beans at people and something, the Holy Spirit goes ahead of you, it makes a crack, the bean gets in there and all of a sudden something crazy is growing. This is Culture at a Crossroads with David Mann. With me in conversation, Paul Carter, lead pastor of Cornerstone Baptist in Aurelia, also frequent writer for the Gospel Coalition Canada and host of the Into the Word podcast and radio show. Long title. Thank you so much. <laughs> Good to be here. Uh, let's start on a lighter note. You're a big Jays fan. What's a, an iconic moment that you've had uh, watching this team in your life? Well, I mean, obviously you think of the Joe Carter home run, uh, the walk-off. There haven't been too many walk-off home runs, but that was uh, certainly a memory I'll think of forever. And then, of course, the uh, Jose Bautista bat flip. Uh, I vividly remember that. My Actually, my wife and my mom were in downtown Toronto uh, going to see a concert, and they went by the, the dome, and the police turned them back, said, you, you got to leave. There's going to be a riot. And, and they said, what, what's going on? And they said, but we don't know exactly, but something happened inside the dome, and uh, the mayor's worried that the city's <laughs> going to burn down, so like you got to go. So she's calling me going, what is going on? And I'm trying to describe that inning to her, and... Uh, Anyway, it was quite a memory. What is it about baseball of all sports that you're willing to spend so much time watching? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, yeah, the funny thing is, I grew up playing far more hockey than than baseball. Um, but uh, to put it this way, playing playing and watching hockey always made me mad. Actually, that's why one of the reasons I I kind of quit hockey for a little while, and then I went back to it. But uh, as a 19 year old, I just found it, it was, it's pretty intense and it always stirred up the emotions. Whereas, you know, baseball is just fun. It's baseball is a kid's game. And uh, maybe part of the reason I enjoy it is because you don't take it quite as seriously, or at least I didn't. And uh, it was just, it was for fun. And ah, there's something beautiful about it. There's something common grace about the smell of the grass, the sound of the ball against the bat. I mean, there's some childhood nostalgia there for sure. And then also just some common grace. Speaking of uh, your childhood, when was it clear to you that God was calling you to be a pastor? From a very early age, I had people telling me that they thought I would end up in ministry. When I was nine years old, I was actually recruited to go to a Christian leadership camp in uh, Beamish Point, New York. And everything about that sentence is weird, right? Get recruited. Mm -hmm. to, it was, you know, for gifted Christian kids, I guess. I don't know. And um, they worked on character, but they also unapologetically worked on skills. So as a nine-year-old, uh, I preached in three different states um, that summer that I was nine, uh, New York State, Pennsylvania, and Ohio. They would take us around. Some of us would do little sermonettes. Uh, some of us would do gospel magic tricks. Some of us would do ventriloquism, drama, music, and we'd, mm. we'd run whole services. And So from a very early age, I had people saying, oh, you know, you've got a gift for this. You should be in it. But just the fact that you can do it doesn't mean you should or that you're mm -hmm. called to it. Um, I'm sure David Letterman would have been a great preacher, but that doesn't mean that that he's called to it. So I, when I graduated from high school, I spent a year uh, at Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. I kind of figured if I spent a year reading the Bible and hanging around with Christian leaders, I'd, I'd have a better idea of whether God was calling me into ministry. And I did feel that he was. So I came back. I called a pastor friend once I felt a real strong call to ministry. I called an older pastor friend and I asked him, what do you do to become a pastor? And he said, 
go to university to learn something that'll help you understand people and then go to seminary so that you can understand the Bible and God and ministry is kind of the fine art of connecting the two. Was that an uncommon uh, advice? Like would some of your peers have not done any university at all? They would have just gone strictly Bible college and then seminary? I think, well, so I have certainly discovered since then that it's not the majority path any longer. I, I think probably a hundred years ago, 50 years ago, 30 years ago, it, it was the common path. I think nowadays it's not. Partly that's because university culture has changed. But then also, I think everybody wants the shortcut now. And so why do, you know, three years or four years plus another three when you could just get it all done in three or four years? And so I think, yeah, I think there's a bit of a shortcut mentality now. Um, and then maybe the university system is seen as pretty hostile too. So I'm sure there are a variety of reasons. That being said, when I mentor young people, I still suggest that if it's possible, mm -hmm. and, and it is, it's not possible for everybody. I had supportive parents. Both of my parents were believers. Um, it, it might be cruel to tell somebody to do seven years of post-secondary education and then go into ministry because how are you going to pay that debt off, right? Mm. So I, I don't know that there's a right or a wrong answer. Um, I certainly am appreciative for how I did it. Um, you know, I, I was in a, it was actually called humanities, but but at York University where I went, you could have specialties. And so I was uh, classics and religious studies. Um, and actually there was a history piece in there too. You got to sort of choose your specialties, but I was really well served by that. I did my my languages, so I did the Greek, um, and then also just learned a lot of history, took a lot of political science, took English literature courses. I mean, just the other day, I, I was reading a book, and there was a brilliant quote from Bruno Bettelheim, and I thought, I, I, I remember that. Where did I? And I went to my shelf, and I was like, oh, yeah, I read that, I read that book in my undergrad. And uh, so, I mean, there is something great about understanding culture, understanding the roots of culture, particularly right now when we're in a gray zone, when we're kind of reevaluating the, the foundations of Western culture. It's nice to be familiar with those things and not in a secondhand kind of way. Do you think this has sort of been uh, evident of your ministry? You've been somebody who doesn't just want to stay in the church world, who's willing to you know, be a bit of a commentator on Canadian culture and and really uh, open the doors to your community. Oh, that may be. Um, you know, I'm. I would say this: everything you do as a pastor should be done for love of the church. Um, I'm nervous about the idea of using your church as a way to springboard yourself into something more significant. Mm -hmm. And I put that in, you know, scare quotes. I think if you're doing what serves the church, if you're doing what blesses the bride of Christ, and the Lord chooses to press that out into the wider world, then then that's fine, that's wonderful, that's His providence. But motivations matter, and uh, I guess what you aim at matters. I mean, with the end of the word, I, uh, which is, you know, the sort of immediate thing you wanted to talk about, I would say that's kind of the story of end of the word. Like, I started end of the word because I thought it would bless Mm -hmm. some old, older ladies uh, in our church who were shut-ins, and I thought it would bless some of the younger guys who were commuting down to Toronto. And uh, I made it for them. And then through the magic of the internet, it just kind of got out there and got to other people, and it became a blessing to them. And I, and I think by and large, that's how it should go. You shouldn't set about thinking, well, how can I use the church to build my platform? But if the Lord chooses to push you out there, then so be it. Now, just Doing something like Into the Word, uh, from your standpoint, I mean, you lead a, a large church in Aurelia. You've got all sorts of responsibilities with that, uh, but you seem to have margin for other things, which perhaps is is God reminding you that that He is pushing you out to be able to do more. 
has that always been something that has been apparent in your life? You've always been able to have a, a great capacity? Well, I, I'd say two things. Some some of that is natural wiring, and then some of it is stage of life, and then some of it is just the kindness of God and, and other special circumstances. By wiring, I'm a high-energy guy. I am, yeah, I, I wouldn't say I depress easily. I wouldn't say I tire easily. And I have a lot of passion for what I'm doing. So I don't need people to tell me, you know, work harder. Usually the leaders and, and brothers in my life are telling me to slow down and don't forget to stop every once in a while. So, <laughs> so some of that, so some of it is wiring, mm. but then some of it is stage of life. You know, I've been in ministry for coming up on 29 years and um, I started in 1994 in September. Uh, and so you just, there's a certain efficiency that creeps in over time, right? Like, so when I open up to Acts, I'm preaching an Acts right now. This isn't the first time I've preached through Acts. This isn't the first time I've studied through Acts because I you know, did a podcast series on all, all of Acts and have actually preached through Acts before. So um, there's efficiency there. You know, I sit down, usually when I sit down to do a series in Into the Word, I'll buy one or two new commentaries, but I've already read two or three or four commentaries. So, so meaning at this stage of my life, it's so much easier than it would have been to try to do this 20 years ago. 20 years ago, uh, it would have taken me three weeks to do a single episode. You know, now it might take two hours, and so that's just the efficiency of time. And then, and then also there is uh, some kindnesses from God. I have a very high capacity wife who um, actually sometimes tells me, you know, don't you know, don't be too shy about if you need to get something done, get it done. And uh, she told me actually on the other side of COVID, she said, I kind of miss when you used to do more world traveling and, uh, it's, uh, it's nice to have a week to myself every once in a while. So she's not the sort of wife who <laughs> needs me home, uh, every night. There's lots of freedom there and, and she's very high capacity. So that's very nice. And then you mentioned, you know, in a larger church, I have some, some kindnesses that, that maybe a smaller church pastor may, may not have, um, I'm not the first one to show up at the house of a, a congregant who's sick with a, a jug of soup or a can of soup or whatever. Uh, we, we've got a pretty good team who who takes care of a lot of that stuff. So uh, there's a sense in which there's some specialization that can happen too at this particular stage in, in my ministry. So the kindness of God has certainly been upon your podcast and the reach that it's had since having that vision for those shut-ins. What, what else would you attribute to why you think it's being received the way that it is given what you're going through in the content. Well, I, I suppose there is a, you know, there, anytime something works or catches on, there's, there's usually a variety of explanations for that. Uh, on the spiritual plane, I think you can just say, you know, there's power in the word of God. And I think in ministry, we're constantly underestimating that. I started in the church in, uh, you know, in the early mid nineties uh, when the seeker movement was in full swing. And I, what I remember from that season is that it's almost like we overlooked the power of the ordinary means. We we thought it had to be smoke and light show. We thought it had to be, you know, the color of the carpet would attract people and the, you know, the quality of our music and all this kind of stuff. You don't have to put a smiley face on a nuclear bomb. Like it's going to do its thing or it's not going to do its thing. And so I just thought I'm going to let it rip and see what happens. And that was when I was a youth pastor and I had people telling me, oh, you can't do, you know, 40 minute Bible studies with kids today. You got to, it's got to be mostly games and maybe you slip in a couple minutes of this or that. I just thought, listen, I don't want to play that game. If this isn't true, then let me go and do something in the marketplace and make lots of money. If it is true, then I shouldn't have to play all these games. 
And uh, so pretty soon, I mean, we had the biggest youth group in our denomination, and all, all we were doing is teaching kids the Bible. Um, and uh, so that kind of changed my heart a little bit. It just made me realize I don't, mm. don't want to play games. I just want to trust in the Word of God. And so I really do believe there's something powerful about the Bible. Um, it's magic. It's like magic beans, right? Like you just, mm. you, you chuck these magic beans at people and something, the Holy Spirit goes ahead of you, it makes a crack, the bean gets in there and all of a sudden something crazy is growing. And uh, I've just seen that happen too many times not to believe it. So I think that's like 90% of the answer. And then maybe 10% of the answer is is just that nobody else is doing anything like this. And I think what End of the Word does, not magic, it's not rocket science at all. We just say, we're going to go verse by verse, chapter by chapter through whole books of the Bible. And uh, so people who are hungry for the Bible, and there's always lots of those people, but who are having a hard time understanding it, and there's always lots of those people because the Bible was written in a different culture a long time ago, um, then they tune in and they listen. So there's nothing quite like it in the sense that we go through each chapter in about 20 minutes, and, and we go through whole books of the Bible. We don't skip any verses. So, um, yeah, I think that particular genre is reasonably uh, underserved in, in the podcast marketplace. I'm sure you're aware of this, the Cornerstone Chapel down in Virginia, Gary Hemrick, who does kind of similar style of teaching. I think he's really blown up during the pandemic, too. That's It's more on YouTube is the home for that. Well, interestingly, I mean, so there, there's the Protestant stereotype of Catholics, of course, is that they don't read their Bibles. And yet, um, they're the Catholic, I forget the name of the guy, Father Mike Schmitz, he's got two of the top podcasts in the world right now. And all he does is the one is through the Bible. Mm-hmm. So, uh, he, the Catholic reading plan is somewhat similar to the RMM in that there's a variety of mm-hmm. columns and whatnot. And uh, he just day by day goes through it. And he doesn't comment on every verse. He just will look at sort of all four chapters that they were reading today and comment on them and help people understand. And that's like one of the number one podcasts in the world. And then his other one, I guess it was so popular that he's brought out another one now called uh, Through the Catechism in a Year. And uh, he basically goes through the Catholic Catechism, which is a pretty robust instructional manual. And he just does the same sort of thing, comments on it. So I I think what we're seeing is is, there's a hunger for substance and for content. Mm. And if you're willing to do your homework, and everybody has their pros and cons, uh, everybody has their skills and and uh, their their liabilities, their their deficits. But for whatever reason, I've always been good at homework. You know, um, <laughs> just, dog never ate it. What's that? No, the dog, dog never, never ate, ate it. it. <laughs> I was I was always that weird kid. Like I often wondered, you know, what is the point of making a person like me? Because most, you know, uh, there's a lot of annoying things about me too. But I was always that kid who sat in the front row. And uh, always put my hand up first to answer questions. I remember several of my uh, early report cards saying, you know, Paul's a, a very nice boy. He's a bright boy, but he needs to learn to let others participate in class. Because uh, I, I always wanted, I just loved learning and I loved the process. And so never really knew what the what the purpose or the outcome would of that would be. But it's turned out, you know, I read commentaries for fun. And uh, so this is kind of the outcome of that. Well, that is maybe what what makes this so special is that you have that wiring and that passion, as you've been saying. And and just like you said, the the course that God has taken you on. I mean, how rare is it for someone at your age to have a a New Testament fully translated into the Greek? Do you know many other late 40s guys that would have that? Uh, I don't know. I mean... So, I mean, maybe that sounds more impressive than it is. When I graduated from seminary, I mean, I remember one of the things that we were told by our Greek professors, uh, we were told, you know, use it or lose it. So, I just kind of took that to heart because I'm that geeky kid who, you know, if you tell him to do something, he will. So, I just 
sort of set aside probably about five hours a week um, to work through my New Testament, sitting right here on my desk, actually. Uh, this is a, a video, so that won't do any good, but there it is. And uh, I just, for probably five hours a week, would uh, open that up, would work through it, um, would and make my own translation. And and it it did take it took about ten years. Um, but so I don't know. I, everybody in my graduating class heard the same advice. I don't know what percentage of us took it, but I did, and I, I really am thankful that I did. Do you intend to turn uh, into the word into a commentary that that you have fully for the whole Bible one day? Well, I, I get asked from time to time, you know, if we'd be willing to turn it into a written format. I, I actually got an email last week from a publisher asking about that. Asking if we, you know, turning some of the end of the word material into into books and whatnot, it, it's certainly a good idea and it's something I intend to do at some point. But the reality is, like, I mean, this is a massive undertaking. That mm-hmm. what like the thing that we're trying to do is a massive undertaking. Let alone all the potential spinoffs. So, do I want to put that on on hold in order to take what I've got and turn it into you know a written format? At this point, the answer is no, um, and. You know, partly I just think there's something unique about right now in this moment, the audio format. I run into people all the time nowadays who who struggle with reading. And um, for whatever reason, I just, I grew up in a generation. I was a bookworm. I used to, I can vividly remember my dad getting uh, annoyed slash angry at me as a kid because I would spend too much time in my room reading and he would, you know, challenge me not to be an antisocial bookworm. And so for whatever reason, my I've just been wired to read. And uh, I love reading and I, I can read. And, and I would say I'm, you know, I'm not an academic at the level of uh, some of the folks who are producing these books, but I have the capacity to read those books and then to communicate their content in an accessible form. And a lot of the people who need that content are themselves not readers. And so the audio format has, it, I would say, is uniquely positioned in this generation to bring people back within the sound of God's word. We got a lot of people who aren't going to sit down and and read a book, but while they're, you know, working out, while they're running on the treadmill or while they're riding the subway, they might tune in for a 20-minute podcast. And that's a that's a perfectly good thing. It's the sound of God's word, particularly the sound of God's external word, meaning pressed in from the outside by an, by another person that really does a, a magical work in the human soul. So I think the audio format is actually uniquely positioned for that. And then at some point in the future, I would absolutely, you know, look at, at producing some written resources related to this. I just want to lean in a little bit to how you got to Aurelia. Uh, you touched on having that uh, youth group that uh, you were seeing lots of fruit and you and I have been in some of the same denominations from what I understand, you could have gone somewhere in Toronto, probably a, a bigger church than to Cornerstone, how do you navigate something? How did you navigate something like coming to where you are today uh, at that time? Well, it's, yeah. I mean, again, there's probably a bunch of different ways to, to tell the story and you're always kind of wondering what's the way that that best glorifies God. I, I'll put it this way. It was very much an act of providence. Um, my wife and I were in three provinces over nine days when we were kind of at the stage where we were looking uh, for a transition. Wow. And uh, we're talking to to churches. This was actually the smallest church uh, we interviewed with, but it was the one that most closely aligned with our convictions, with our ministry convictions. And it was kind of interesting. We were driving up the highway uh, to this interview, and as I said, we we'd been 
in three provinces over nine days. We were kind of tired. I'd set aside some time, some vacation time to go around and talk to different churches. And uh, we were doing this this interview sort of as a courtesy um, to my parents who had, my parents had actually um, retired and were in this community. So we took the interview and I had said to my wife on the way up, we both know the kind of church we're, we're looking for and we're both tired. And neither of us thought that this was at the top of the list, so to speak. So I said, you know, let's just listen. We're listening. We're looking for a church that is committed to the word of God and that is interested in doing meaningful ministry in their community. Within a few minutes, because uh, you, you sit down in an interview and there's usually some some kind of funny questions. You know, if you were a tree, what kind of tree would you be? You know, all these <laughs> nonsensical HR questions, right? And uh, and I don't remember what they specifically were, but I, I remember being tired enough to cut to the chase and just say, hey, listen, you know, we've been doing lots. You've been doing lots. How about this? How about you just tell us um, what sort of church you want to be? And we'll tell you if that aligns with the sort of ministry we, we feel called to pursue. And uh, they said, we, well, there's only two things you really need to know about our church. We're committed to the ministry of the word, and and we want to do meaningful ministry in our community. I just kind of looked at my wife and said, all right, there you go. This is obviously where God wants us. So, you know, we prayed about it further, but we really felt a, a leading in that direction. That's so neat. And when it comes to the the Gospel Coalition, the writing you do there and how that has come into fold in Canada, maybe that's a small factor in, to, into the word, um, sort of promoting your your podcast, but how did all of that pan out? Well, uh, the Gospel Coalition was a, there were a group of pastors. Um, it must have been ten years ago. Well, yeah, it's more than that. Actually, it was around two thousand and ten, I believe. Who uh, started talking about the need for maybe some kind of a a group to get together, network for conservative evangelical pastors, and it's just been a way to plant a flag. Um, you know, a lot of evangelicalism. I often say is like a continent that's been hit by a nuclear bomb and that is now actually just a, a thousand little islands drifting in different directions in a constant state of trauma and panic. And that's the reality. So, you know, what we've done basically is we've planted a flag in the center of, you know, what we would say used to be evangelicalism, um, classical evangelicalism. And, you know, for better or worse, that's where we stand. And that's all the writing we do comes from that place. And did you, you were able to find it in your schedule pretty easily to pump out a few blogs or columns a week? It wasn't uh, too challenging in the beginning? When we first started TGC, it's kind of interesting. You can see this yourself if you just go back in the history. Um, when we first started TGC Canada, I was really the only one. Well, there were, there were a handful of people that were going to contribute articles irregularly. But then, you know, I was writing three or four articles a week, it, it seems. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> You'd have to go back and check. But an awful lot of stuff initially, just to get the thing off the ground. And then now, now it's totally different. We have... Um, you know, three or four writers who contribute on a regular basis, and then probably a stable of 15 to 20 who contribute irregularly. So it's fantastic. I've gone down to one or two articles a month now, and uh, that's been great. Paul Carter, teacher of Into the Word, lead pastor at Cornerstone in Aurelia, and also a writer for the Gospel Coalition Canada. Appreciate your time, appreciate your ministry, and, and how God's using you to advance his kingdom. It was a pleasure to be with you. And if you want to double back on any of the resources we've mentioned, I'm going to cite a lot of the pieces that Paul has written over at the show notes at davidmanmedia.com slash podcast. Next time on Culture at a Crossroads. Adriana Barton is a former celloist turned journalist who has put both of her passions together exploring how we as human beings are wired for music. 
That's the title of her recent book. The former Globe and Mail health reporter dives into the natural rhythmic beats that our bodies can detect, as well as the solace that music provides and the way it prompts us to move our bodies in dance. Plus, we'll get into the origins of music and spirituality. I don't know about you, but uh, I've felt that sense of... I, it, people do refer to it as ecstasy. I mean, the, the word ecstasy is Greek for being outside of oneself. Have you ever gone to a concert and for hours after you feel almost high, you feel so revved up by the experience and so amazed by the feeling that you had? People will talk about a peak concert experience for days. Thanks for listening today. A reminder that you can access any of our episodes when you head to the Culture at a Crossroads podcast. We do invite you back next week as we once again explore the intersection of faith and culture in Canada, helping to better equip you in following Jesus. Jesus.